You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Not to expand upon Kevin and take advantage of being told that I make good analogies. Again, I make too many of them, I realize. But I'm going to make another one here. Uh, I'm convinced that probably, was a burner account. I'll be play a drinking game to how many times Jake mentions that. Thirsty right. Thursday, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, but do you ever have... I, you know, I don't know whether it's like you're wearing the Titleist hat right now or maybe a, a pair of shoes or something that that you kind of have forgotten about. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, you know what? I forgot I have that hat. And you put it on and you're like, wow, I really like this hat. Like, it's pretty comfortable. And oh, you yeah. start wearing it. You know what I mean? Like, you, you serendipitously find something that you had gotten for yourself that you kind of forgot about. And then you realize there's a reason I went out and got this. I kind of like it. And, and you start wearing it a lot more often, whatever. It seems to me at the beginning of the season, and this is the one thing that I'm optimistic about, there are two reasons why I'm actually optimistic about the Colts tonight. And I know that I said, I th- I think I said last week, like this was my last go-round of push-all in. Like if they don't show up for Frank Reich, then he has lost the team. I remember saying that last week. And I think that's entirely possible. Uh, tonight is going to be a really good, with with everything that happened after the Tennessee game, if they show up tonight flat and get down early and just mail it in, it's over. It's over. But Hit up the dispensaries if you're there in Denver. That's right. Uh, if they look like they've done that, then it's over. That to be said, Naeem Hines is an offensive weapon that – we heard so much about and Frank Reich said before the year if you're a fantasy owner of of Naeem Hines you know thumbs up on his stock and we talked to him at camp and it was like okay he's going to be more featured and that flat out has not happened and I think we know that Naeem Hines in space can be a good player and can be a weapon for them but for whatever reason they just have not gone there to him and they have not tested that out just yet there is, to me, there are always two or three games per year for the Colts, even when they've been really bad, even when they've had bad years, where they go out in the primetime games, and oftentimes it's on the road, and they just bond together and play well. Yeah, San Francisco last year, Baltimore yeah. until the end last year. Yeah, where you're just like, whoa, okay, like, look at the Colts, here they go. And I think sometimes when a team most needs it, when a team has its back against the wall, it's on the road where where sometimes they rise up. I don't know if it's just the the fraternal experience of being on the road together, being in a hotel together. I tra- I mean, you know, because it travels fairly quick, or just getting away from the pressures of your home environment. But sometimes teams on the road going away, that's what they need. That's the shot in the arm they need to collectively just find out who they are. But in terms of tonight with Naeem Hines, Naeem Hines has been a forgotten or an underused or a whatever weapon that they just have not even really tried out this year in terms of his number of carries, trying to get him in space, using him as a flare receiver, whatever it might be, they've forgotten about Naeem Hines. Now, Kevin, what I'm saying to you is they have no choice now. They are being forced to now remember, recognize, and be aware of Naeem Hines. And I think it's entirely possible that Naeem Hines responds to that. Now, I may be totally wrong. We may be sitting here talking tomorrow morning, and he had seven carries for 22 yards. That's entirely possible. But I just get the feeling that, Maybe I'm being overly optimistic here. He is going to be that ball capper, that pair of shoes that they're like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about it. And this awakens a wrinkle for them that sends them in the right direction. You know, part of me is like, who, who else? You know, he he has to have an uptick in his usage. I go back to week two when you didn't have Pittman, you didn't have Pierce. That to me screamed Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines on the field together. And for any of our listeners that were out at Grand Park during training camp, you saw on a daily basis probably one to two rather unique ways to either get Hines the football, use him as a decoy, things like that. 
I don't feel like we've seen any of that. Maybe one or two times all year through four games. Let's have this conversation with JMV last night, Jake. The Heinz hype was so much Ballard Reich driven. This was not like you were correct. I That's from correct. seven to ten a.m. Correct. each morning. Yep. I can think back to the season-ending presser and the indoor facility with Chris Ballard. Definitely at the combine, and you mentioned the right kind of fantasy football. Um, mentioned that he had in the spring. There was a moment at the combine. I forget if it was Reich or Ballard. I think it was Frank that said. You know, we feel like we've got three big-time playmakers. Taylor, Pittman, and Hines. Uh, pretty lofty to group Naeem Hines in with those other two. But they did that, and their actions in the offseason spoke to that. They really they didn't make any notable offseason acquisitions from a veteran standpoint at the skill position. So I thought to myself, okay, they are, again, kind of backing what they feel like they have in Hines. And then here we are through four weeks in his playing time and his usage has not been as high as I thought it would be. I do find it interesting. We mentioned Jonathan Williams in the first segment. For Colts fans that think to themselves, Jonathan Williams, yeah, that name does ring a bell. 2019 season, Marlon Mack gets hurt. The Colts have Hines. They kind of bypass Hines, though, and they go to Jonathan Williams as the feature back, as the in-between-the-tackle guy, as the first and second down guy. Williams runs for 100 yards, over 100 yards, on Thursday night football. Do we see that tonight with Phillip Lindsay? Is Hines kept in the Hines role, and they look at Lindsay and think, this is the guy that we've kept around for a moment like this. This is where we... I think Hines will have an increase in playing time and in touches, but I think that Lindsey could be the guy that is more of the feature first and second down guy tonight. Um, I know a lot of people have asked about Deion Jackson. He's been on the 53-man roster. I think he's there for special teams. Lindsey was more effective in the preseason. And I don't believe in jinxes. And I know this is a storyline tonight when Matt Ryan has fumbled a ton and Melvin Gordon, Denver starting running back tonight, has fumbled a ton. If I'm not mistaken, Phil Lindsay's not fumbled in 800 touches in his career. <laughs> 750 and 34 seconds. On a short week, I would want to rely on that than Deion Jackson, who coughed up the football a lot at Grand Park. You know, Gordon's an interesting back because if you recall, you correct me if I'm wrong here, Kevin, this is a guy that at one time was thought of as I'm not going to say Jonathan Taylor, but wasn't there a time where Melvin Gordon was thought of as one of the bright, young running backs in the league? Was he a top 20 pick? And he's only 29 years old. I mean, that's in running back years. That's he was uh, the 15th overall pick. In the draft, obviously, you know, I mentioned I make the Taylor comparison. I mean, they're kind of linked a little bit because they're both Wisconsin guys. But if you look at his numbers... And Denver torn ACL for their starting running back. That's why Gordon will get more looks tonight. So in terms of his production, as a rusher, you know, a 1,000-yard season, but it was five years ago. But he's been right around there. I mean, the last two years, over 900 yards each and averaged over 4.5 yards per carry in the last two seasons. It's just been fumbles. He has five of them in his last 44 rushing attempts. Yeah, that's an issue. That's awful. 21 fumbles, 16 lost in his career. You know what else is awful? That literally Matt Ryan is your leading rusher, not named Jonathan Taylor. Oh, yeah. And part of that is probably just because he's running for his life. It's not like they're doing quarterback draws. When I think Matt Ryan, I think quarterback scramble. Oh, you think... Lamar Jackson, Michael yeah. Vick, yeah. Fran Targanen. Without standard. question. He's a blueprint. Right. Houdini like in the open field. You know it. Jonathan Taylor averaging four yards a pop. Hines and Jackson have combined to average less than one yard By per the way, carry. You said four yards a pop. Do you, are you a pop or soda guy? Or or just Coke? I really don't drink either. But I mean, if, if, if I'm saying in terms of reference. Probably soda. Mark? Pop. I think it's where I grew up. And Mark, you were born in Illinois. But I just say Coke. Hey, I'm running in the gas station. You, you, you need me to grab you a Coke? That could be 
Yeah, I probably side a little Dr. bit more Pepper, there Sprite, too. Dr. Pepper, yeah. orange drink, anything. Coke to me is a so no Pepsi for contract for you. <laughs> I do. You know what's odd? Now, now, how's this for weird? I prefer Pepsi to Coke, but I prefer Diet Coke to Diet Pepsi. Uh, my mother for different folks, I guess. <laughs> my mother gets a Coke from McDonald's every single day. There's something about the is it the carbonation at McDonald's that I, they I do? I was told the syrup. Is that what it is? I mean, we're talking Christmas morning. She's telling my dad. My parents were like that with McDonald's coffee. When Make we run the McDonald's, we would drive to Florida as a family. There, it was always an understood that we would stop at certain places for McDonald's coffee. My parents lived off of it. By the way, shout out to my beautiful wife. She is 33 years old today. Really? How about that? So happy birthday to Maddie. Nothing says happy birthday like, let's sit down on the couch and watch Amazon Prime tonight, baby. <laughs> Colts and Broncos. She knew what she was getting into, right? Yeah. Oh, boy. She's ready By for By the way, how one. did you meet your wife? Uh, through friends. Okay. Did they set you up or just like you guys were at a gathering together? Yeah, more the latter. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she is, uh, did she go to IU? She went to IU. She went to Chittard for high school. I went to Cathedral, so kind of mutual friends overlapping well, through rivalry there, right? that area. I mean, you know. Remember we had the caller that house thought. on Friday nights. Remember that we had the caller that thought you went to Bishop Chittard? <laughs> <laughs> we did the Kevin and Jake pop quiz day. Jake, yeah, Bishop Chittard. <laughs> he is a moron. <laughs> now, Whoa, what? where was that from? That was from wow. yesterday. <laughs> Remember you go. Oh, that was little, his Frank Reich. You're rant. a Frank Reich guy. His you, altitude. You Frank, I don't Frank. think Frank Reich is a moron. I think if Frank Reich thinks that you don't feel the altitude in Denver when you first get there, that he's a moron in that regard. So in Lazy Town from Iceland, apparently, and thank you to Jason who points this out, the fixed expression "glossy face adults" will results from always being bad in their behavior. On Lazy Town, and that's I'm saying that's what Tom Brady looks like now. And there again, that show originated in Iceland. And then a fun fact, of course, being that Iceland is green and Greenland is ice, and that was all misnamed because the Vikings didn't want anybody going to either one of them. There you go. Hubbard and Cravens for Greg Rakestraw <laughs> this morning. A buddy of mine okay. said he spotted Rake there, and I asked him why didn't you go up and take a selfie with him. Rake's got a big day. He has been up and early, Wish TV this morning. He's joining us now, and he will end his night in the studio. Pro- uh, Rank, if I set the over-under at 2 a.m. tonight, will you still be in here? We will still be in here. So technically, because John starts his pregame at 5.30, which I'm a part of that tonight, too, because no Joe Wrights this evening, no Jeffrey Gorman tonight. So I have the split doubleheader pre and post tonight. So I'm on with John from Joe's Grill from 5.30 to 7.30, and then Barry, Billy, and myself go on at about 11.30, and we will take it till 2.30 in the morning. Boy, the Thirsty Thursday calls. That's going to be a fun show for people that are up, win or lose. I can only imagine what some of those calls are like. You know what? We, what we do is we actually get third shifters who are so excited to have somebody to talk to. We get great phone calls at 1.45 in the morning on these weeknight <laughs> games. Seriously. I guess that I guess that makes sense. Uh, Greg Rakestraw, he's with us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. No Jonathan Taylor. I, I've kind of been saying this morning, Rank, I think it'll be an uptick in Naeem Hines usage, but I really think Philip Lindsay could be like the team's leading rusher tonight if that's, you know, how they've operated in the past. Jonathan Williams a few years back, and you know, there's a reason why you got Lindsay on the roster. How do you see those running back carries being divided up? The, the thing I, I think I would go with would be less running back carries, period. Um, you know, long-term, if you're without Jonathan Taylor, you're screwed. Um, short-term, on a short week where the other team can barely game plan, and now you have a chance with a veteran quarterback to do something completely different offensively. I am hoping this is a game where they are more reliant on Matt Ryan, and obviously given some of the issues they have had in terms of, of blocking of all kinds i hope this is a quick tempo short pass get the ball out of his hands type of game for matt ryan that's that's my hope now in terms of carries sure finds more philip Lindsay. i'm sure we'll see some of Deion jackson that's fine too but frankly uh even though kind of the idea going into the season was 
hey, let's not put this on Matt Ryan on this game. Let's put this on Matt Ryan. Let's see what happens. Uh, Greg Regstraw, who's also playing Frogger, joins us on the Payless Liggers guest line. Greg, uh, question is, do they – can they rely on Matt Ryan? Is there enough body of work so far in his Colts tenure to know that, yes, in fact, they can rely on him and he can carry him tonight? That is a wonderful question and a fair question to ask. And my thought would be is if they can protect him, yes, you can. Uh, and if you look back at last week – you know, and I heard Kevin talking about this earlier, that it was the passing game is, is what got the Colts back into the game. That's absolutely the I want to say before he took the sack yardage out, what, 27 of 37, 356 yards, and those two touchdowns, I think they can. But it's all about can the guys up front do the job knowing how good of a defense you are playing against this week in the Broncos. Greg Rakestraw, busy Thursday for him. You'll hear him on the pregame show. Our coverage is going to begin at 5.30 on that. And then postgame show, uh, he'll be right here in studio recapping week five from Denver. Rake, um, I, I feel like this is kind of a coin flip game, and I think part of the reason for the optimism is Denver has struggled, and I feel like the pass rush plan you use with Patrick Mahomes in week three, I think there's a lot of similar elements in trying to get after Russell Wilson, who is dealing with a right shoulder injury tonight. Correct. And again, this is a Denver team that, while defensively solid, you know, offensively, I, I didn't really like their pieces. And so I, I thought Denver would be better with Russell Wilson because I thought they were one of the worst teams at the quarterback position over the course of the last couple of years. But I didn't think he immediately made them a Super Bowl contender. I thought he made them a fringe wild card contender, and, and we're kind of seeing that. And, and frankly, Russell has not been as good. There has been an adjustment period for him going to Denver. And as you mentioned, he is now hurt. Then you lose a running back uh, with a knee injury for the season, and you've got to figure out how that changes now on such a short week. So, you know, we have talked about this being a race to 20, it might be a race to 17, uh, you know, coming up in this game because I'm I'm not sure either offense has uh, has covered itself in glory so far this year. Greg, let me present you with a theory I threw to Kevin this morning off the top of the show. Yep. And that is that, and I know this happens with you, we, we all have like that thing around the house that we had completely forgotten about, whether it be a, a pair of shoes or a, a, a jacket or whatever, and you're like, oh, man, I completely forgot I had that. And then you start wearing it, and you're like, man, this is pretty nice. I should have started wearing this earlier. Is that Naeem Hines for the Colts, and do they find that out tonight? Do they rediscover Naeem Hines tonight, and all of a sudden the wrinkles that we were promised finally come to fruition? Man, I certainly hope so, uh, just because you, know, you, you think of the two games where this offense has struggled the most, at least out of the gate, the entirety of the game against Jacksonville. On the first drive, Naeem Hines has two catches, and one of those goes for 23 yards, and then he seemingly up and vanishes for the rest of the game. You know, other than any potential punt returns, he was non-existent uh, on Sunday uh, against the Tennessee Titans. So, you know, again, it, it's kind of like, kind of like what, what we complain about with the, with the slow start of this team overall and in first halves. Part of what makes us complain about it even more is the fact that it was so talked about in the off season, and it's the same old, same old, and the same thing for Naeem Hines. Ever all the conversation in the off season was, hey. We're going to get him more involved. Hey, that was part of the problem last year is that Hines' touches went down. We want to get him on the field with Jonathan Taylor. We want to make sure that, that, that he is playing a larger role. And poof, he's not there on Sunday. So, yes, it would be nice to slip into those comfortable old shoes. But, again, what I don't want to see him use as is, well, Jonathan Taylor's not here. Next man up, hand the ball to 21, 20 times. No, that, that's not where he's effective. Find creative ways in a short week to get him more involved in the game plan. Is it possible that the chatter about Naeem Hines at the beginning of the year was a smokescreen? I don't think so. And, and again, I'll go back. This is a line that we've used about the offensive line. You know, you're, you need to be what your contract says you are. Again, this is a player that, well, you know, three years and $6 million a year, basically, I believe is what his contract deal is. Uh, that is it's huge dollars in the NFL. That's major dollars for a backup running back or for kind of a fourth or fifth piece as, as part of your option. You need to use him. So, no, I don't think that was a smokescreen. I think it's just a 
still figuring this out as the season gets started. Craig Regstraw from ISC Sports Network is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, Rake Saturday, Purdue with a huge win at Minnesota. Jeff Brom called it one of his prouder moments in his tenure there in West Lafayette. And all of a sudden, ESPN, they're talking about Devin Mockabee, and they say he's from Boonville, Indiana. And I'm thinking to myself, the only reason I know Boonville is because they had a great golfer back when I was in high school named Griffin Wood. I had no idea they were producing Division One football players. I loved how that kid ran, and I liked hearing a little bit more about his story. Had you ever heard of Devin Mockaby before Saturday? Yes, because he was putting up huge numbers. Uh, so his high school coach in Darren Ward coached not when I was in high school, he's not that old, but the next town over in Corden, a program that has rarely had success in football, but when Darren was there, they were pretty good uh, at the 3A level. And Boonville, I want to say, is 4A in football and then 3A in the other sports. Wow, that big? I think that puts puts them in the enrollment category, like 700 and 900, uh, I want to say. And it's in Uh, what county, Greg, and like the county seat or the rival high school of Boonville would be what? Boonville is the county seat. It is in Warwick County, which is the county that is due east of Evansville. Okay. A much larger school would be Castle, uh, which, you know, even though they are not in Vanderburg County, they compete against all of the other Evansville schools. So we're starting to talk like Hoosier National Forest, right? Uh, What's that? I I said we're talking like Hoosier National Forest area. Uh, On the very fringe western end of the Hoosier National Forest. Hoosier National Forest is more over in my direction, like Orange County, Crawford County, Perry County, is where typically that is uh, in terms of uh, southwestern Indiana. So Boonville is basically an Evansville suburb, more or less. And I believe that Devin had committed to go play at Navy and was either there and left or never made it to the Naval Academy. He put up gargantuan numbers at Boonville. He was a track so star, too, I saw. Had had Division One interest. Uh, but for whatever reason, ended up not going there, and what an absolute find for Purdue. The other thing I wanted to mention, last Friday I was fortunate, well, along with Brendan King, to call Brownsburg and Zionsville. We are a week out, or I should say we're just a couple of days out from the sectional yep. draw here uh, for the boys' high school football tournament. Oh, my, Rake, Brownsburg. I, I, I did not have 50-3 to on my bingo card with them in Zionsville and a running clock for the final 16 minutes of the game. I, I swear they've got to have at least six or seven Division One players. They do, uh, and, and you have heard me say repeatedly, hey, I think Brownsburg's the number one team, but I do think there's, there's not as big of a gap from number one to everybody else um, as, as we've seen for most of the last four or five years. After last week, that might be a bit of a different statement. Now, again, Cathedral played them in week two. It was a seven-point game. Cathedral helped them out with a couple of short fields and a couple of inopportune turnovers. Um, you know, when they played Ben Davis in week number one, um, Ben Davis was without their starting quarterback because he was a young man that had transferred from Brownsburg and wasn't eligible to play in, in, until week number two in Thomas Gotkowski, and that is a potential opening around sectional game for them. So the path is going to be difficult for Brownsburg, but obviously if they play like they did last week, they probably got a gear that I'm not sure anybody else can get to. The thing is, we're going to learn a lot more about Brownsburg next week because just the way it's shaped up, they and Hamilton Southeastern don't play each other until the final week of the regular season. And both those teams are both undefeated overall and in the HCC, which means there will be a wonderful conference championship game and potential state finals rematch that will be played next week in week number nine to end the regular season. Greg, give me one more time. Greg Regstra on the Panel Sugars guest line. Uh, the rundown in terms of what you will be doing uh, both before and after the game in terms of radio coverage that people can hear here on the fan. All right. At 530, uh, I will be joining JMV and Bill Brooks at Joe's Grill in Westfield uh, for uh, the countdown to kickoff. And then I will come home and watch the first half from uh, the Rakestraw Radio Ranch. Uh, tickets are not available. Uh, on my way home, I'll be stopping by Query and Schultz at Lou Malnati's in Broad Ripple. I invited Kevin Bowen. That way, Jake, you have both your work wives there. But he was a little busy, you know, celebrating his actual wife's birthday today. Uh, so he can't make it. Uh, but then at halftime, I will head downtown, watch the second half from the fan studios. 
And then Bill Brooks, Barry Krause, and yours truly will have post-game coverage, and hopefully we're all A, awake and be in a good mood after a Colts win until 2.30 in the morning. I think it's possible they're going to win, man. I'm telling you. I do, too. I do, too. Yeah. I mean, the spread's three and a half. I I, I think it's probably – I think it's a watershed game. it's close to a coin flip. I think it's two franchises that it is a watershed game, Greg. I really do think that one of them is going to go in one direction from this, and the other, uh, it sends them into a heap that you don't want to be in. I think that is a very fair point. It is a fulcrum point for the 2022 season for either of these two teams. Rake, pound the coffee, and as always, thank you, my man. You got it, bud. Thanks for the time, fellas. 9 o'clock hour here on Kevin and Query. The sun not showing itself yet? You know, it started to peak. Let me check. Hang on. I thought it was supposed to be a really nice day. I can see a slight sliver of it just to the right of the city-county building, which means nothing to you nor the people listening to here. But I can simply tell you that there is a it, there appears to be a slight... Would you uh, like to go outside and check? ...area where the clouds are permeable. High of 77 today. It's going to dip to 60 Friday and Saturday, back into the 70s, it looks like, early next week. Uh, let's head to the Payless Lickers hotline right now, and Scott Agnes finally can join us and talk about an actual basketball game. But again, it wouldn't be a Scott Agnes interview without a little bit of Bally Sports Talk, which we'll get to later in the segment. Scott, I get it was the preseason, fully acknowledge that, but last night was a reminder of just how bad the Pacers' defense was last season. They hold Charlotte to 97 last night. I looked it up earlier. You'd have to go back to the Friday Thanksgiving game of last season, the last time the Pacers held an opponent to 97 or less. Yeah, and they're also a reminder of just bad things that happened, too, in terms of they've lost six straight games to Charlotte. There was that disaster game against the Hornets at Gamebridge Fieldhouse last year. I think it was late January, and, and there's kind of an unofficial belief that that might have been one of the games that turned the tide on – all right, time to restart this thing. Uh, I think there was even a, a, a long meeting after that game, if I remember correctly. Um, but the, the Hornets just looked disinterested. But it was so good to see games again. The Hornets did kind of look dis- disinterested. But <laughs> listen, but I do think there's element the Pacers will be playing harder than the majority of their well, opponents. The, I, I think, Scott, you tell me if this is a correct statement, but I think the thing that's going to be interesting about the Pacers this year is, you know, the brass of the Pacers may be saying, like, listen, we're trying to uh, – tank is the wrong word, but they are very open about the fact this is a retool that needs one more year. They are asking for one more year of patience and understanding of they're going to reset this thing altogether. But the players, on the other hand, are like, hey, I'm a young guy, man. I want my minutes and I want mine, right? Yeah, that, that, yeah that's completely the conversation. Players don't play into the fact of – uh, what it could be or may not be for that that season or that franchise. I mean, you got a couple guys in contract years, a couple guys with options, rookies that are just trying to figure it out and make their mark in the league. Um, and, and so I think you see a lot of that, especially last night. And you guys brought up how they played hard. Yeah, and we should see that because that's one big thing that Rick has been talking about in, uh, every day for the last week, playing to exhaustion. Um, be you know playing tough, competing, and being vocal, and a lot, some of that doesn't show through exactly, especially the vocalness on TV. But I thought a lot of those things stood out to me, uh, along with just some of those young guys, like what you know, Aaron Neesmith. I think was the the main thing that that jumped out. I would say just because he was so bad at summer league, um, but you kind of understand that a little bit considering those circumstances. He played well. Uh, I really liked what we saw from Isaiah Jackson. But, yeah, Jake, to your point, uh, players are focused on each game, and and they don't want to get embarrassed. That's their number one thing probably. I think that second unit duo there on the wing with Neesmith and Matherin, I think that's perfect to play alongside TJ McConnell. I think McConnell will set them up, you know, in some really favorable situations. It's not like Isaiah Jackson or Terry Taylor, whoever is in the four or five spot of that second unit. It's not like they're kind of like individual creators. Um, I I really think that'll be beneficial. And I think that second unit will – be a group that will spark some things this season, and obviously that's kind of McConnell's mo. A hundred percent, yeah. Matherin especially, I, I appreciated how much he just put his head down and looked to attack almost every single uh, drive 
last game. He's and such a willing driver. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and because of his, his stature, how big and tough he is, he can absorb that contact. Now, we'll see when it's even bigger, Giannis and LeBron, but – um, I like the fact that he would get fouled and still be able to, you know, go into the motion towards the basket or complete an and one, things like that. We really didn't see him shoot a ton from outside uh, yesterday, but from his attacking standpoint, you like that. You got TJ McConnell, who's always wanting to push it ahead. And if Neesmith can settle in and knock down many threes, you're right. They kind of complement one each other quite well with that second group. Again, Scott Agnes is with us. You can find his work over at Fieldhouse Files. And uh, he joins us every Thursday here on Kevin and Query. Scott, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, you did text me yesterday and listening back to our show. We greatly appreciate you listening back to the show. And I believe you heard my over-under on wins and my belief that the Pacers will hit that over of 23.5 this season. I need them to hit over 30 to be honest with you. and I, th- I was going to say, that's when I heard you. I was like, 30? My yeah. goodness, that's quite high and I believe and you and I have known each other for a long time so no offense was taken but I want to say you called me an idiot for such a prediction there um your skepticism over my prediction comes from where it comes from the the messaging here as Jake alluded to earlier that Pacers are pushing forward towards hey let's get after it one more year have one more high draft pick and then see where we are at. I mean, for example, the focus right now front office, they have about a half dozen people out in Las Vegas for what is going on there, as they should in every front office should. But And, and go um, ahead and share for those that don't know what's going on in Vegas. We have talked about it, yeah, but please we, share. Absolutely. Out in Las Vegas, you have presumed, the presumed top two picks in the upcoming draft, along with probably several other first-round picks as well. So it's just not just those two and, and, and Victor and Scoot um, of guys that, you know, Pacers and other teams would all love to have on their team next year. So it, it's you look down. I try to, you know, look down and what other teams will finish. And I have a hard time saying if things go well and they're a little bit strategic here, they're, do the Pacers not finish last in the Eastern Conference? for example. And if that's the case, you're probably looking, what, 20, 23 wins-ish, I think. So that that's what it comes down to, knowing the messaging, knowing the fact that the Pacers are very open to playing guys, just making this a development year. I, yeah, I, I think as I finish, I go, yeah, I think this is just a stay away. Okay, yeah. Scott, I want to – wasn't the most uplifting text to receive, <laughs> but you did give me a little bit of ammo. Sorry, sorry, Jake, yeah. to, to to butt in. You did give me a little bit of ammo. How many games missed did the Pacers have last year due to, due to injury? Yeah, no, four hundred about a four hundred games lost due to injury. No continuity with the lineups. Thirty different players. They gotta have yeah, better luck right. this year in those areas. Hundred percent. Boy, right. four hundred game that season. That's a long year. No wonder guys are hurt. Jake, it's an algebra problem. You add up how many guys missing those games, and you get to that number. You know, if you gave me the number of players and then the X and then said 400, I could tell you the average of the number of games missed. Let's save that for like 10.05, okay, today. I could be with your tutor today, Jake. Uh, Tutoring tomorrow, by the way. Uh, Okay, Scott, here's a question off of a text message I received for when we announced you were coming on the show. See – See if this makes sense, what's being asked about the Bally's ticket package and et cetera. I have a possible question for you to please ask Scott. If I buy two ticket packages so that I could take my son to the games, could we stack the six-month redemptions so that we would be able to get the whole season or would it be effective from the beginning of the season strictly for six months? I guess what's being Um, asked, does that make sense what he's asking? Yeah, I believe they're saying you get a – the Pacers starting yesterday offering a six-month free trial, essentially, or comp account to Bally Sports. So they're saying, you know, when do I – when can I push it uh, and get it started? And I assume – I don't know this because I haven't physically done it um, – is that they're going to give you a little promo code. And so whenever you go and sign up, that's when your clock starts for the six-month free trial. And so – That would be my assumption. Therefore, you should be able to you know, wait one more month. Um, for example, there'd be no reason to sign up for the Valley Sports Plus package right now because there are no games that you're going to get for a week 
in a seven-day tri- free trial then wouldn't do you any good. So you would want to push that. So I think that's in a similar light here. Let's make sure we have the details right on this. Um, the Pacers announced yesterday that if you purchase, um, I think it's at least a six-game season ticket package, um, you will get, like you said, a comp six-month su- subscription to Bally Sports Plus, which means you can watch every single Pacers game. You will get a meet-and-greet opportunity with one of four players. That's Benedict Matherin, Miles Turner, Chris Duarte, or Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I think the autographed mini ball, if I'm not mistaken as well. And then that six game ticket package, I think the cheapest amount uh, would be right around $200. Do I have the details right on that, Scott? I, I think so. They didn't advertise the price, so I didn't, I don't know what that, that number is, but that sounds about right there. What were your overall thoughts when you saw the announcement? Again, I know we've had a lot of discussions about this, um, I, I think it's pretty good. I think all things considered, it's not a bad deal. It's a significant price, but I think the return is, is, is very nice. The only question I would have is, you know, what if I don't want to even go to six home games? What, is there something in there for if I want to go to two or three home games, could I get a similar comp to Bally Sports subscription? Yeah, I, I think the the general thing here is the Pacers and Valley are trying. They're trying to to get you to try the product. They're trying to keep you coming to home games. By the way, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, sure, and so sure. I see that as kind of a a happy medium, right? Like we'll give you this, but we don't want you to be a stranger as well. Because when you come to games, you're going to spend money. You're going to buy a jersey. You're hopefully going to enjoy and talk about that experience and share it maybe with the kid. Um, I, I guess if it was me. And, if, and if, as a fan, I would just go by the package rather than uh, the games and then figure out the games later. Although, if, if you know you're going to go to a handful, and by the way, these are good games, too. It's not like it's just Charlotte, Chicago, and Orlando, too. Um, they are good go games. Jake was games. asking that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I don't know why you wouldn't go. For example, one, game, one package here. Uh, there's two options. One is Lakers, Heat, Nets, Clippers, 76ers. Whoa. And the other includes the Bucks, the Warriors, Memphis, uh, Bulls, and Nets. So those are great games. Th- those are both good packages. Scott, let me ask you this. So I've been through – you and I both, I think, have gone through the field house now. They've had – you know, they're, they're close to the completion of the renovation of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. The very top is very cool because – you kind of have an area where kind of a bar congregating area where you look out one way and there's the court and then you look behind you and there's the skyline of the city kind of like Lucas Oil has that one window. But is there any concern for you? There's a little bit for me. I understand the necessity of the entertainment value and trying to entice people to come to live events when television is so good now. But has the NBA in general, and the NFL too perhaps, but has the NBA in general with Gamebridge Fieldhouse and the Pacers become a product that has squeezed the blue-collar middleman out of the price structure? I'm glad you mentioned that. I thought you were going to say, has it changed geared more towards entertainment and got away from the basketball product? And I was going to say my number one thing is the cost factor. And just the fact that if you go to the box office and buy a club level seat, you're probably pushing a hundred bucks. I was looking at going to post Malone, not even a big fan, but I wanted to go to the field house first event that reopened this past week. Jake, I think the price was like 200 and some dollars to get in. Um, so I, I think maybe it's also events just over there in general. Um, in, in a field house type setting. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I would be curious. I haven't checked on like what a balcony ticket is today. Um, what the get in price, because honestly, if you're a true basketball fan, that if you could get a first row round mid court in the balcony, that's a very good seat. I would happily pay 25, 30 bucks. Probably. I mean, the new video that. board makes everywhere a pretty good seat, right? Right. Yep. Upgraded Wi-Fi as well is key, but it, yeah, if, if, if you're starting to talk about a get-in price of 50, 60 in general, I mean, this, this holds true across the state for other events as well. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm not sure how people with families can do that very comfortably anymore on, when they go to the Sunday afternoon and such. Just to clarify, Post Malone, I don't believe related to Carl. 
Malone, for those that were Carl was good in the post, though, to be honest with you. Uh, very good. Um, By the way, um, it looks like 14 15 bucks face value for upper-level seats. And with the stu- with the amenities now, that's a pretty good deal, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm very good with that. That's actually lower than I expected. So, Agreed. A couple um, more. I'm totally good with that. That's something they have to be conscious of because, again, going back to a conversation we had a lot last year, last in attendance and apathy crept in a little bit, right? So that's one thing in, in addition to the product on the floor, they have to start turning fans over in a good way again once once more. A couple more Bally things I want to clarify. Again, Scott Agnes is with us from Fieldhouse Files. Um, and by the way, I will also encourage people to check out Scott's latest podcast on Fieldhouse Files. Mel Rains, the COO over there, really interesting uh, pod on all the renovations to Gamebridge Fieldhouse over the years. I thought that was a great listen. Um, this one here from Kirk, he wants to make sure that Bally Sports is still going to function like normal last year. Bally Sports Plus is strictly just for streaming for those that don't get Bally Sports as a channel, correct? Correct, yes. That's the one thing that, that's important. you got to realize probably 80% of the audience that is trying to watch games, they have cable, so this does not affect them. Right. They're on AT&T, they're on Comcast. It's still going to come along. So how you watched the Pacers last season, same old, same old. This is for the streamers that, you know, didn't have. for me and UKB, yeah, who have YouTube TV. We physically cannot get it through our provider right there. And so now we have no excuse. We can go pay $20 per month and and get Valley Sports Plus. And then, Mark, you said we had a caller about someone curious. Yeah, Tim called. He had just gotten off work, so he's just listening now. He was asking. He had bought a 10-game ticket package before this announcement of the bundle. He wanted to know, will there be a retroactive, like, make good that he already purchased it? Will he still get the six-month subscription to Bally Sports Plus, or is he going to SOL? God, I would hope he's still good. Yeah, I would assume he's good. It's interesting. I, a couple people aren't returning my calls about Bally Sports right now this week, uh, which is interesting. But my understanding on all this is that someone with a, a pack, ticket package of that, that number, 10, half, half season, that they are getting an account comped. But do not quote me on that. I don't know that for certain. Uh, last basketball, I guess last question in general from me, Scott. Um, there are a couple of names that aren't frontline guys that you have heard that have stood out to the Pacers brass during training camp here. Um, you mind sharing those names? I thought it was interesting. A couple of guys that have stood out. Yeah. So the first guy was Andrew Nimhard, the first round pick of the second Man, they round. They love him. We didn't see him a ton last year. Yeah. There's a lot of things to like about him. I think it's it, for one, his experience, his confidence, his vision, um, his willingness to take the shot, which sometimes point guards don't feel. Uh, and we, I think we even saw that last night. I think he put up something like seven shots. Uh, and then the other guy uh, people talked about was Terry Taylor um, as well. And, you know, he's playing with that second unit. He kind of ha- now has that more defined role, and, and we understand how he can contribute. I think the biggest thing for him, the challenge in kind of marketing himself, if you will, probably going back to high school and college is what exactly are you, right? Like, he's kind of a center, but he, he passes well. He can shoot, um, but he's smaller. And so they have him right now playing the four, and I, I think they're going to try to get a lot of use out of him. So th- those two. And then, honestly, Neesmith was another one as well. Um, but you're kind of skeptical because we're not able to see for ourselves. Like, you know a little bit about Nemhard, know exactly what Terry Taylor will provide. Um, but Neesmith – you were, I was very curious how he would look compared to the summer league and then kind of with this fresh slate that he really needed just with no opportunity in Boston. And so far, he passed the test. Scott Agnes, again, Fieldhouse Files, where you can read what he has to say in terms of his coverage of the Pacers. Next preseason game, I think, is New York. Is that right? Or is that the first home preseason game on uh, a week from oh. yesterday? Yeah, both. both. They got at the Knicks Friday, and then they host the Knicks on Wednesday. All right, so uh, Knicks, October 12th, 7 o'clock at the Fieldhouse. Scott, appreciate it. Scott, great work. Very good. Thanks, guys. We are closing in on the one-year mark of the three of us doing this show together, right? Correct, yep. Uh-huh. Got the champagne in the fridge, <laughs> right? I'm sure you got do. Got the gray hair to show it. Um, 
I believe that I have done this little soliloquy, I thought, on this show before. But humor me if you've not heard it. I'm sure you guys have. But this always fascinates me. And I did this the other day for somebody. And they're like, holy cow, you should do that on the radio. And I'm like, well, I have like 10 times. But it never ceases to amaze me. With tonight's Colts-Broncos game, Kevin, I'd like to do uh, about a 90-second, maybe more or less, uh, history lesson on the the intertwine of the Colts and Broncos franchises. Are you ready? Should I just give my pick and head out and then call it a day? <laughs> We've got, what, five minutes left here? we got time. Okay. So once upon a time, there was a team called the Baltimore Colts that did not have much success. They were really rutted in mediocrity. And their fortunes changed when they had the opportunity to draft a generational quarterback named John Elway out of Stanford University. John Elway, whose father, by the way, Jack Elway, was a football coach himself who later would coach as a coordinator at Stanford. But John Elway didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts, so they had to trade him, and they traded him to the Denver Broncos. The Colts then moved to Indianapolis where they went through kind of some different changes and trying out different quarterbacks, and they finally found some success by getting a quarterback by the name of Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, whose father, Jack Harbaugh, was a coach that later was a coordinator for Stanford, by the way. And uh, Jim Harbaugh had pretty good success with the Colts, but then he went on elsewhere actually to leave to go to Baltimore where the Colts had come from. At that point, the Colts were still looking for a quarterback, and they drafted a guy named Peyton Manning. Now, Peyton Manning also had a father involved with football because his father, Archie Manning, played in the NFL, had a backup quarterback by the name of Oliver Luck during the time that he was playing in the NFL. Peyton Manning had great career with the Indianapolis Colts and won a Super Bowl for the Colts, just like John Elway had done with the Denver Broncos. Manning eventually got hurt, and at that time, the Colts decided that they needed to try to find another quarterback, so they did it by trying to find a guy and bringing him in named Andrew Luck, who had played at Stanford for, by the way, Jim Harbaugh, who was now the head coach at Stanford, and whose father, Jack Harbaugh, had coached there, and Jack Elway had also coached at Stanford, where John Elway had played. So, Oliver Luck's son, Andrew Luck comes to Indianapolis to replace Peyton Manning, and Peyton Manning was then left with the need to find a new job. So he looked around and ended up deciding that he wanted to go and play for the Denver Broncos and signed a contract that was negotiated by the president of the Broncos, John Elway. So there you go. Quiz later. Neither one of you has any thought on that at all? I'm still processing everything. So <laughs> Russell Wilson will be the quarterback here next year. Matt Ryan will be the quarterback in Denver next That's year. That's correct. Russell Wilson, who, by the way, uh, started at North Carolina State and then went to Wisconsin. And North Carolina State is the same place that Phillip Rivers had played, who was the guy that ultimately Matt Ryan, if you take out Carson Wentz, replaced in Indianapolis. And then you're tying with Brett Rippon, the backup to Russell Wilson and Mark Rippon? Uh, Mark Rippon was the backup for Peyton Manning here in Indianapolis. Any, okay. any other questions? Mark? Well, speechless, I, I need to say the least. my brain after all yeah. that. That was a lot of knowledge flying at me. Boy, I'll be napping well today after hearing <laughs> that one. Um, all right, Colts, Broncos. There has picks. to be somebody out there listening that's like, wow, that's amazing. Am I the only one that's amazed by this? You know, we probably in the break, Mark, when he said, have I said this before? We probably should have just said, yeah. That's, that's, I think we should be, yeah. that should be the standard learn. forward. Live and learn. We will learn from that moving forward. Um, it is a three-and-a-half-point spread for tonight. The Colts, I think it's been that pretty much the entire week, hovering right around three. The over-under last I saw was 42-and-a-half. Again, to update everyone on the injury situation for the Colts, no Jonathan Taylor, no Shaquille Leonard, no Tyquan Lewis, no Julian Blackman. Denver without their starting running back, Javante Williams. Randy Gregory, their best pass rusher, is out. These are two pretty desperate football teams meeting tonight in Denver. Mark Dyke didn't lead us off. Well, I've been pretty terrible this year with predicting Colts games. I think I'm a I'm a Same. perfect 0 for 4 if we're counting the tie. Uh, so I'm going to pull a George Costanza. If every instinct you have is wrong then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> so I'm going to go Broncos 23-17. I'm going to pull the old George Costanza and go the opposite. I think the Colts will win, but I will take the Broncos to win. So that means the Colts will win. God, my head is spinning even more right now. Um, Give that again, 23-17. So the under? Yeah, under, and the Broncos win 23-17. I think it was the Kansas City game where I said, if they didn't go out and play for Frank Reich, then I was not sold. Maybe that was Tennessee. But I had a feeling and a hunch they would beat Kansas City and predicted them to win that game, and they did. I had the same premonition about this one, only because I think weird things happen to teams with their back against the wall when they go on the road. I think it causes teams 
to band together and just say, let's go for it. I think that without Jonathan Taylor there, it forces the Colts to have to be more offensively dynamic as opposed to overly reliant on Taylor, even though they haven't used Jonathan Taylor a lot without him in there, though. But it just that safety net is not there. I think in this case, it's like what we saw when they went in and surprised people in Arizona or when they went in on a Thursday night and surprised people last year. I think it was against Kansas City. They've they've played well in these situations under this regime, and this is a watershed game for both franchises. If the Colts don't win tonight, I think they're in serious trouble, and I think the same is true for Denver. But I'm not sold on Russell Wilson. I'm not sold – that he has meshed in Denver. I'm not sold that he has it left in the tank. And I think the Colts win 26-24. Yeah, I don't know if I put as much stock of like this game is going to greatly shift the season for one of these two teams. Uh, I, I look at the next two games for the Colts and think those are the divisional games. Those are the bigger ones than tonight. Obviously, when you started 1-2-1, one, and one, tonight still matters. I thought when the schedule came out in May, this would be the hardest game on the schedule. Um, I thought Denver was a good team. Short week. Altitude sandwich in between big divisional games. It just didn't smell like a, a, a good situation for the Colts. Um, I've shifted that thinking. I don't think that anymore. Uh, having said that, I think Russell Wilson will make one more critical play than Matt Ryan when it comes to the fourth quarter tonight. Part of me wants to think that week three blueprint you had against Patrick Mahomes, if you have that again tonight, that can be huge in neutral uh, neutralizing Wilson. Um, but I think he'll make one play more than Ryan, and I'm going 23-19 Broncos. Okay. Uh, give us a lot to talk about tomorrow, right? Three Thursday night games this season off short weeks. The home team is won by 3-12-12 for anyone curious on that you front. Got a price, of right, price is righted me on that final score. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I, I did have it written down. Okay. What was your score, Jake? He said 26-24. So you're going a little higher scoring than we are. And he's got the Colts. And he's got the Colts. Um, all right, we will recap everything tomorrow. Jeff, Saturday, Mark? That's the plan. Yep. I'll text Plans him tonight. for Jeff Saturday to join us. We'll treat tomorrow like we usually treat Mondays after a game. We'll break it all down. Purdue is at Maryland. Indiana's got Michigan at home. Notre Dame's got BYU. We'll look ahead to a little college football tomorrow uh, coming up at 7 a.m. Everybody join tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow.